Hello and welcome to Deluded, the Melbourne Demons podcast. Neats, we don't usually talk about umpiring on a Deluded podcast, but that has got to be one of the worst decisions in the history of the game. Two decisions. You had a holding the ball, clear holding the ball, and then after that you had a clear deliberate. I don't think the holding the ball was as bad. I mean, obviously it is bad, but maybe the umpire thought he got his hand to it with the handball. That deliberate, though. Absurd. That is the most hometown of hometown decisions. Complete Adelaide umpiring. No, and look, credit to them in one respect, which is we were 16 points up with five minutes to go, and to crumble and capitulate like that is a bit is pretty poor, you have oh, to say. I think credit to Adelaide. I mean, they played a really exciting style of football, um, and we just didn't put them away at any point. Right? Not at all. And I feel like we only really got our game going in terms of pressure and in terms of defence um, in the second half. So yeah. I feel like in the first half it was just way too much of a shootout, which you can't really hmm. – even with mid-range teams like Adelaide, you can't really do that. It felt like the kind of game Carlton would play, you know, the ball's bouncing all over the place and maybe they win, maybe they don't, but it's a bit of a lottery. It's very different to how we play. Completely lacking system, yeah, and just not enough tackling pressure. Like I was yeah. stunned to hear that at one point in one quarter we would only lay three tackles. Yeah, I think they got pretty complacent, which in fairness, pretty much everyone was complacent. I think we didn't even bother really previewing the game last week because we were so convinced. <laughs> so the, really, the problem started with the deluded podcast last week, didn't it? <laughs> it all starts from the top or the, or the, bo- or the bottom, maybe. It starts from the bottom. Um, look, I don't mind too much. And, and my theory for this, I know everyone's like, no loss is a good loss, whatever. I do think if had we smashed Adelaide, it might have been a problem against the Dogs. I feel like now we're going to go into the dogs game, like really trying to make a point that, you know, the pressure is going to be way up. I think they're going to play a lot better. Whereas I actually think weirdly the dogs might fall off a bit having such an easy game against St Kilda. Yeah. I mean, I think that we, I think that's exactly right because they will be livid that they lost that game, not just because of the stupid umpiring at the end, but also just because they had that game. And Oliver, we have to talk about his game because that was easily the best game of AFL I've ever seen him play. Hmm. And I mean, his effort was was extraordinary. Three goals. Well, he, the funny thing is, I think he had a pretty quiet first quarter. He didn't really do much at the well, start. He was being tagged quite heavily, wasn't but he? But his last three quarters. Unbelievable. Was he was yeah. like Superman. He really was. And it was an incredible individual effort. Yeah. I saw that it was the highest ranking. It was the highest rated game by a player since 2011. Is that right? Yeah. So he yeah. was just unbelievable and extraordinary. And, and he's at the top of the coach's votes, which he very much deserves to be. I mean. Do you reckon he's had a better season than Matraka? It's an interesting question. I think that um, it, it's a comparison that will become quite interesting throughout this year because there's still a lot of talk about how Petrarca is, you know, top five in the comp, but Oliver has just kind of been flying under the radar a little bit, mm. weirdly, despite his excellent season. Yeah. And um, he I just, th- he just usually doesn't kick that many goals. That's part of it. I think Until so. Until this week. Yeah. yeah. And you probably just, I think it's sometimes a little bit easy to forget just how much he does in and under in the contest. Yeah. Um, and you know, because he's not necessarily as much of a score involvement player as Petrarca is, right? So people just forget about him. But he has been amazing. Amazing. That was an incredible game. And so it's just a shame that that didn't get us over the line because usually like, you know, nine times out of 10, that type of performance drags your team across the line. Well, let me ask you the question, Neats, which we've been asking on the podcast to each other for the last four years, basically. Who do you think will be the person we'll look back and say was better at the end of their career? Oliver or Petrarca? Do you know, I think- Because I was pushing Oliver early- and then I completely jumped on the Petrarca train. Now I'm just looking at Oliver's performances. I'm like, it's hard to really split them. It's incredible. And we've talked about this before, but they really could be one of the greatest one-two punches hmm. in in the game. 
Well, right of now, all time. Like, who, well, just this year, who would be better as a one-two punch? Well, you so, think about McRae and Bontempelli. That's pretty good. That's a pretty amazing and formidable team, mm. especially because they both just have really sublime foot skills. Yeah. So they both – I mean, Oliver kicked really well on the weekend, but at the yeah. same time, he's still his kicking is still a little bit of the of the iffy part. But then he's contest work. I mean, contest-wise, I, th- I would think that Oliver and Petrarca would be better than McRae and Bont. Yeah. But at the same time, but their kicking skills and their outside work is really – Extraordinary. What about Neil and Zorko? Or oh, I think Boke they're better Butters. than them. I mean, Butters isn't even playing. I think you know. Then there's a say Selwood and Dangerfield, but Dangerfield's not playing, so right. it's hard to say at the at the moment right now. I mean, I think it is a little bit has that sort of feeling like the Brisbane Lions midfield, where you're just like, okay, who wants to get a Brownlow? I mean, right. just raffle it off between this midfield. Well, you know? but then there's maybe question. I'm also like that's my getting a bit ahead right. of myself. I mean, the Brisbane Lions had like four players, yeah, right, um, and so did West Coast as well, who like that. I'm a little bit questioning of our depth beyond Oliver and Petrarca because obviously Viney is huge and I think his absence has really, you know, been a problem. But given he's got another foot issue, I'm a little bit concerned about how durable he is again. Yeah. And then you've got guys like Harms who are solid but not superstars. Cozzy playing a bit through the middle, Milksham playing a bit in the middle. James Jordan, who didn't James have Jordan. a great game. You have to say, he didn't have a great game on the yeah. weekend. But that was probably he's, his he's, worst he's game. But kid, he's a young right? player, and yeah. Then, understandably, they're keeping Brayshaw on the outside because he's finally found a role. So yeah. I do and he's wonder- playing that well, well, role well, right? And he's kicking yes. into the forward line well. So, yeah. yeah. I do wonder if we have as much depth as we think in the actual centre bounds. I know this week we won clearances unlike the last few weeks, but it doesn't surprise me we've been losing it a bit recently. Mm. I do think that we miss Jack Viney as a defensive midfielder, as yeah. just the pressure, you yeah. know, player. Um, and I definitely do think we miss him. And I think that, you know, Jordan not having a good game was actually quite harmful because he's played really well the past couple yeah. of weeks. He's been really good. So, um, look, I don't think – all things, even though we lost and I was furious, as you know, mm. I don't handle losses very well. I've yeah. got a little bit of a temper. Um, <laughs> widely known. I don't know if that's known. I don't know. That's a bit harsh. But um, I, I'm not I'm not that disappointed, only because, you know, maybe it is the loss that they had to have just to sharpen them up a bit. And also when you learn, you know, they didn't play very well ultimately and they only lost by a point. Right. So – it's not like they're getting blown off the park. And we didn't have Christian Salem, who I think is such an essential player. You know, his composure, his drive. His use, everything. everything he does. Neville Jenner didn't have a great game. And little things like that can make the difference between winning and losing, I think, right? I think so. And Lever did look a little bit rattled by the Adelaide yeah. crowd at some points. Like, sure. I mean, I guess it's pretty like- I mean, he they got were pretty punched a- in the back by yeah, Darcy Fogarty. Yeah, that was so that was dirty. That was awful. That was a disgrace. I don't yeah. know if he got- I'm sure he didn't get suspended for it, but he should be because that was just Ridiculous, garbage, yeah. yeah. Hate that guy. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's a huge concern. We're going to have a loss eventually. It's all going to, but the next two weeks are pretty tough. I mean, the, tough. the dogs at Marvel is horrible matchup for horrible. anyone. And then Brisbane up north. Yeah, it's going to be really tough. So if we pull off, if we pull off both of those, wow, then we're clearly a flag favorite. If we win one, I still think we're doing amazingly. I think so as if well. If we lose two, you start to get a little bit nervous. That have maybe, the trains, have the wheels. The trains are. Well, you know, we're still, I think we're going to be a top four team no matter what. But What's the analogy? Have we totally forgotten? Uh, the wheels falling off. No, the train falling off. Ah, some Something about wheels and train. Please let us know. Anyway, let's talk about our interview this week. Mm. So we spoke with uh, Dan Cherney from The Age, um, who is just a lovely guy, real newsbreaker. Um, and he said some interesting stuff. We were actually talking about uh, Christian Petrarca and how – there was some real openness before he left last year to going to Collingwood, which is really interesting. Before he left? Before he stayed, rather. 
don't freak anyone out, before he stayed to go to Collingwood, which we didn't realize. Mm. Um, so very, very interesting. We're talking about how our forward line can work, the classic Wiedemann Brown question. Yeah, some questions maybe about the length of Ben Brown's contract, for example. Hmm. Um, yeah, so we, we think this is a great interview and I'm sure you guys will really enjoy it. Yeah. So if you're liking the podcast, please subscribe on your podcast app and please leave us a review so other people can find it. Uh, and if you'd like, join our Facebook group, Deluded, the Melbourne Demons fan community. Yeah, that is not to be confused with our Deluded Facebook page, which is different. So Deluded Facebook group. So yeah. join it, ask to become a member, and you will be admitted very promptly. Hmm. Really getting into the weeds of our uh, ter- well, terrible actually- social media. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not that we do much there, but, you know, it's good to be part of the community, right? So <laughs> Anyway, now we've talked that down sufficiently. Uh, we'll see you after next week's game. Go Dees. Go Dees. Dan Cheney, welcome to the Deluded Podcast. Great to be with you guys. How are you going? Well, thanks. We've actually been big fans of of yours since, uh, you know, witnessing your work on the Real Footy Podcast. So I'm glad you sort of found time in your schedule to fit us in. <laughs> no, that's all right. Thank you. Very, very kind and uh, pleasure. It's, uh, as I was saying to you before the show, it's uh, unusual to, uh, it's, I, I think this is um, a maiden uh, voyage to Mexico City in the podcast. In the <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, certainly. <laughs> well, we won't ask you to do it in Spanish, but um, maybe next that time. Be, that'll be a very quick show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Dan, there's been a lot of talk this week, including from um, Michael Gleeson from The Age, that the way Adelaide was able to beat Melbourne on the weekend was by basically treating them like West Coast, you know, trying to avoid the intercept defenders, lowering the eyes, and that was the secret to Adelaide's success. Do you think that that's now a problem for Melbourne, that that's a model that a lot of teams might try and use against Melbourne? I think to an extent. I, I mean, I, a problem is probably a stretch. I think it's it, it, it's the uh, inevitable evolution of any team that is successful, or any team really at all. You, you know, the opposition co- clubs are always going to try to figure out w- what you do well and what you don't and where, where there are areas to exploit and areas to avoid. And I think... Uh, it, it makes sense that you know Melbourne having won nine in a row, that uh, clubs would certainly have been there would, and a pattern had emerged as to how they'd been winning. I mean they've been very good across the ground, but certainly uh, we we know about the dominance of, of Lever and May and, and the intercepting, um, and even with Tomlinson out, you know Harry Petty's come in and done a pretty solid job. So I think uh, I think it's yeah somewhat inevitable that it was going to happen. Uh, the Crows showed how to get it done, uh, and West Coast is probably a good example, uh, given that that's been the, the sort of the the um, lowering their eyes, or even just even sort of chaos kicks into the fifty, where the ball gets to ground level and trying to exploit the smaller defenders, probably aren't as nimble as some other clubs. This is West Coast I'm talking about. Uh, that's been a way clubs have, have tried to tried to beat them over recent seasons. So oh, look, it's probably something that other clubs will now try to try to employ, given given it's been successful, uh, we've seen with the Crows, but whether that's cause for concern, uh, maybe a, you know, a little bit, Melbourne might have to just be modify things at touch, just be on, on guard for that. But I think there's, um, I think there are ways to stop that. And if you put enough pressure around the ball carrier, I think it's, it's hard to, you know, th- th- that makes it harder to get, you know, clean lowering eyes, kicks into the 50 uh, and if, if and and they can put enough pressure on that they can bring Lever and May back into the game, game so to speak. So 
it's uh, it's going to be interesting, but um, with, you know, good, with good sides, it was bound to happen eventually. With a good side like Melbourne, it was bound to happen eventually that uh, clubs would be um, taking a pretty keen eye on, on how they were how they were winning. And one other question on on Melbourne's tactics, Dan, is you know one thing we really noticed on the weekend was that Adelaide were bold, like they really charged through the middle with their um, ball use, and they were not sort of trying to sort of take a deliberative approach, playing the boundary line or anything like that. They just got the ball whenever there was a turnover and just went, um, regardless of whether or not that resulted in any mistakes in the forward line or, or kicking into the forward line or anything like that. So I guess what I'm asking is, do you think that that is in some ways part of the blueprint of beating Melbourne, just being bold and brave and just not really worrying if there's a mistake here or there, but just taking the game on and charging through the middle? It's interesting because... You, it's a really good question because you, it's funny. You look at those two things. You know, the first question about the more, you know, the, the lowering their eyes, and then con- comparing it to the um, sort of stun and gun and, and really get, you know, direct route that that Adelaide did take as well. And at, at some level, they sort of seem a little bit incongruous because if you if you get to lower your eyes, you're probably going to be a bit more deliberate and probably going to and you, you might you know hold off on that kick rather than just bombing it in there chip it around, try to find it, you know, lead up target. Uh, so I'm actually less convinced about the latter approach because I'm just not sure that's sustainable against a team like Melbourne who move the ball well, who have such good intercept defenders. Uh, like it worked on the weekend. And, and, and look, you know, I suppose the basic premise in footy is if you move the ball in clean and fast and to, to, your key for, to your key forwards, you give them as, as best chance as possible. But... Uh, and I think there's there's something to be said for that. That that's um, if, if you know if, if you move the ball fast, especially in the way the, the game's being played at the moment, it gives it's going to give you key forwards, opposition key forwards, the best chance. But I'm less convinced that that sort of um, all-out attack. I mean, playing fearless footy is 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 good, and and, and if, if if you if you move the ball well and hit targets, it's it's going to go a long way. But I, I think. It's, I'm not sure how sustainable it is. You know, it worked probably on the day and and it can work. You know, I, th- I think that's the kind of thing that will work, you know, maybe oh, somewhere between one and four times out of ten against a team like Melbourne. But I'm not sure whether, you know, enough there are enough teams there that will consistently be able to to monster Melbourne's defenders um, or, or not monster them, but just get, get, get through Melbourne's defences uh, that that's a sustainable approach. I, I'm more. I actually think the West Coast. That's sort of the West Coast analogy that you mentioned earlier is, is more of a sustainable option. But I mean, I'm not. I'm not a coach, and it's and it's it's early days as well. We haven't seen. You know, we'll see the Bulldogs this week. I, I suspect they will play. They play a very aggressive brand. They they they, they are very direct. Uh, they're, they're not. Um, they're that quick ball movement. It's it's sort of a, a little bit different to even to um, to you know, even to that, that West Coast example that we used earlier. That, so there, there are a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And I think um, I, th- I think well, clubs will test things out over the next few weeks, but uh, I suspect Adelaide will, will form at least the blueprint, at least for, for a little while until, until the team consistently starts to, to beat Melbourne. And just another quick question on, on our defence. Last weekend, we didn't have Christian Salem, who has been in amazing form. What do you think Salem brings to the team in terms of structure, in terms of what he allows May and Lever to do um, that, that is so important? 
Because I think we all knew that Salem was a gun, but I don't think we all necessarily appreciated how much he was bringing structurally to the team. It's a good question, a very good question. I think he's yeah, he, he's been he, he's one of those guys that has floated under the radar for probably oh, really for three four years. He's he's been pretty consistent. Uh, he hasn't. Um, it's you know when you play that sort of um, you know, medium sized small defender where that's not. Um, you, it's, it's probably harder to win plaudits, uh, especially in a team that's only going moderately well. Um, so I think like, like in any team, you know, um, the rising tide, it's a bit of sort of rising tide lifts all boats sort of situation. But I think he, you know, he's a very good ball user, which is which makes a big difference. So he can be that release player. Uh, he's, got, he's got footy smarts. Um I just probably just helps organise things there. Not not that, not that main labour aren't disorganised, but it just it just allows them to have um, a, a good ball user to 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 exit defensive fifty and, and to set set the play up. I think that's probably the crux of it. Plus, he's got you know provides plenty of run. Um, yeah, I don't know. They're probably sharper sharper footy ones than, than mine that could could pinpoint if there's something. More to it than that, but that just just from watching Melbourne, I think that's sort of the crux of it. But he, he is rather unobtrusive. I mean, he at least to the neutral. Uh, maybe Melbourne fans watch him more acutely. But when I'm, when I'm covering Melbourne games, you sometimes sort of look up the stats sheet and like, oh, Salem's had a lot of the ball. But where did he get? Where did he? Where did he get all those possessions? Um, and you, you know, you, when you're winning them across half back, sometimes that can be the case because it's just then they're not possessions that you're focusing on as much because they're they're coming at, at times that aren't you know. Direct, uh, aren't directly leading necessarily to score involvement or to, to scores, but um, that's not to say that his role is not very important and he's having an excellent year and he'd have to be uh, in Australian contention because he's, he's, um, he's uh, in that role, he's near faultless, I think you'd have to say this year. Dan, turning to our forward line, um, I think we all expected going into this season that that would be the weakness for the Ds and it's actually held up pretty well. But now there are some, I think, fresh question marks uh, because even though our forward line is solid, it's probably fair to say it's the weakest of the premiership contenders, at least right now. Um, if you compare it to Brisbane, Richmond, Geelong, certainly, the Dogs even, I'd say we're probably the weakest at the moment. Interested in your take on what the best configuration is with Wiedemann and Brown, which is this permanent question for Melbourne supporters. Oh, it's a fascinating question. You're right. I probably, yeah, I think you're right. It's not on paper. It's, it's not in the Geelong class, clearly. No, no no one really is when you've got guys like Hawkins and Cameron together, although it probably falls away a bit after that Geelong. And then Richmond, uh, you know, Lynch, Rewalt. Not that not that they're, you know, firing all cylinders, and, and, um, but, you know, they've got the runs on the board. And, and, and Brisbane, even though Dan is spraying them, you know, the, the there's a plenty of strength there, both. So yeah, and the dogs are also multifaceted. So, but having said that, you know, you're kicking, you're kicking. It's not like you're not kicking scores. You're not kicking big scores. I mean, the defense, it is based on defense, but you're still winning. You're still kicking some pretty solid scores. Um, I didn't answer your question. So to answer the question, I think, gee, it's tough because, um, you know, no one. Tom McDonald's just changed. He's changed the game in terms of. Well, the game, the game, in terms of Melbourne, you know, it's been a game changer because, you know, they didn't want him at the end of the year, to be blunt. And uh, he's come in and has, um, you know, 
with his uh, meat-heavy diet. <laughs> his, um, in, uh, <laughs> it is quite. I do. I, I do laugh. You know, it's actually. It's not probably not a great advertisement for um, for veganism when you've got um, the old carnivore Tom McDonald keeping the vegan Ben Brown out of the team. Um, <laughs> That's true. Although I do remember uh, Chris Dawes trying that, it did not work. So. Mixed, mixed <laughs> reviews on the meat no, diet. So, yeah. On the meat diet. Um, <laughs> it sort of fits with Tom McDonald's personality and, his, and I think his, um, his politics, I think, fair to say. Uh, but he, um, <laughs> look, he, he, he's, he, he's, he's lean and he's getting it, he's covering the ground and he's returned to that 2018, you know, I mean, I, I foolishly tipped him for the 2019 Coleman on the back of the way how, how well he played in the second half of 2018 and, you know, signed that four-year deal at the peak of his powers uh, and he has, uh, you know, he's getting up the ground. He's taking marks. Uh, he's fitting in really well in the structure with um, uh, with Fritch and with Wade. And you know, Fritch, I think, is a, Fritch is a really good player. I think he's uh, if, if he, he's getting that kicking. You know, that kicking's just getting there. And, and I think that sort of let him down over the last year or two. But he, he, he's he, he he leads really well. He's a nice mover. He's he's just got good footy smarts. I, I like Fritch uh, and. Uh, and then obviously you got Pickett buzzing around and has, has just added so much from a, you know, from that forward pressure perspective uh, plus the finishing. So, um, and then obviously, obviously, you know, Jackson has just been, you're just growing pretty much every week and, and you, know, very, you know, clearly a very good player and, and one on the rise. So I think... Brown way doing things fascinating. Is there room for both of them while McDonald's there and while Fritch is there uh, and while you've still got Jackson in the team with Gorn? Uh, look, at the moment, the consensus is probably no, and Wiedemann has outperformed Brown in both the VFL and AFL level. Uh, Brown, I think, struggled in the VFL on the weekend. I mean, look, Ben Brown has been a very good player for North, uh, but we saw last year that he was falling over and I, I think there were certainly there were mixed reports as to whether the, the length of contract that he was handed at Melbourne was 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 reasonable I think given his medical history I I, I don't quite know I don't, I'm not sure it's it's a it's a body thing that's holding him back at the moment maybe the game is sort of um you know gone part you know all those sort of semi knocks on him in terms of being you know not great below his knees and very much a straight line sort of player um, I would have thought that would have sort of had this this year the way the footy sort of headed this year the AFL sort of headed this year would have actually helped the player like that but uh, I think Wiedemann is you know the, the the future is more Wiedemann than Brown which is but the concern is that Brown's been signed to a four year contract Wiedemann's out of contract um, so uh, I'm not it, it'd be interesting to see I, I reckon they should try them all once, even just to see how it, if, if, if it can work and if it doesn't work at least you know because um, it does seem like a, a waste to have some you know, I mean, no, neither of them are what you consider A-grades at the moment but they, they're all players that can be on McDonald at the moment, sort of playing A-grade footy but there's there's about five or six guys there that are all um, in the you know, on their day of B plus players, and I and I think that's a, there's a really strong. You know, the, I think you can contend with it with a forward group like that. So, just from the uh, look, maybe it's just the, the journalism. I'd be fascinated to see how 
or just the football sort of purest to me. It'd be fascinating to see how it all would go together, but I just don't know if they're, they're going to be if they're going to be willing to do that because, as, as you guys know, there's such a deep list and there's very good players that can't get in the team, even leaving the forwards to one side. There's a lot of good players that, that, that can't crack into the team and they're being, you know, or even that are in and out. Uh, we know what the situation with Nathan Jones, you know, a guy like Kate Chandler was dropped. Um, the, you know, Harms was on the outer with, through, after his injury and had to, had to work his way back in. You've got Brown there in the, in the, the VFL and, and you know, Nev, guys like Nev Jetta can't get a look in. So it's, it's, um, it's a deep list and uh, it's a good problem to have, but um, because you, you just know that, I and mean, look, that, that's the other thing. There's, there's a natural attrition. There's a natural attrition element to this as well. Uh, often these things just get sorted out because someone will go down. We saw it with Jackson out for a week, and you hope it doesn't happen. But especially with Tall's, there's just no guarantee that they're all going to stay fit and healthy. Uh, and that's why you bring in these guys. But I did. I, I do sort of laugh a little bit because. Um, Obviously, they brought in Mad Jack, who's there, so there's very much backup at this stage. That's fine. Um, and, you know, especially when you're a team in, who is in the premiership window, that's actually a, a healthy thing to have someone as experienced as Mad Jack Dor, um back there. But it's funny when you think that they, you know, they really wanted Sean McKernan as backup, um, and he's really struggling at St Kilda. Um, and it just, you just sort of wonder how deep they would have been, all these tools that sort of been, um, you know, having to play these guys in pockets and flanks and this and the, it's, anyway uh it's this it, is at casey level i'm saying but yeah it's going to be interesting i i don't i don't profess to have the, the exact answers but i think at the moment wiedemann's outperforming brown and brown's going to need to do a lot of work to, to get back into the team so moving to the uh gossip section of the podcast <laughs> um you reported um i think when christian petrarca re-signed that he had expressed some openness at one point to someone about potentially going to Collingwood. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Was that person Tony Shaw? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. Um, yeah, it's fine. Not, not, it's funny. I'm glad someone read that line. No one, not, not many people picked up on that. And I sort of buried it deep in the story because I didn't want, the, I, it wasn't fair to make that the story, but I thought it, least, it was at least worth mentioning. Uh, you know, I'm not going to obviously won't breach confidences here, but, uh, but the, um, you know, someone who had spoken to him pretty regularly uh, had said that Christian had been quite open about as recently as certainly as recently as last year had been quite open about being uncertain as to where his football future um, lay and being quite yeah open-minded to about um, and certainly not not saying that he was um, destined to be a one-club player uh, and. Collingwood, I think, with his strong relationship with Scott Pendlebury, the fact that they were, you know, opening up their – the sort of stars was semi-aligned in some respect because Collingwood were opening up their salary cap at a time that Christian was going to become, you know, going to be a free agent. And it was sort of a bit quite a – it's quite a shock in some respects that Melbourne would – that was great news for for Melbourne, but it was sort of that that a guy would sign – such a long deal so early. Like, I mean, you know, when he was, wasn't going to be out of contract for another 18 months. Um, it's a great stuff by Melbourne to sort of strike while the iron's hot. Uh, I mean, you're always a little bit nervous with, with, when you've got so many guys committed to long-term contracts, but yeah, look, he, 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 he my, my, and 
so, you know, someone that I trust um, and, and, and whose mail has been um, very strong for a long period of time told me that Christian was, um, was at least as of last year, indicating that he was open to, to he was open to exploring his options and Collingwood was it was a consideration. But do you think that uh, clearly yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but do you think that maybe that could explain Collingwood's fire sale at the end of last year? That part of them thought we build up a lot of space, Melbourne has a rough start to the season, make a play for Petrarca? To an extent. I, look I, I think I wouldn't say it's purely Petrarca because I think Collingwood there are a few guys that they've been linked to, you know, the, there's talk about them making a play for Zach Merritt. There's talk about them play. I mean, they make a play for Jack Gunston. Uh, I think generally, I think generally Collingwood realised that they had. I think Collingwood just wanted to make some. Well, had to and wanted to make some space, and um, but not in the capacity that, that it worked out. You know, they, they just didn't get bang for buck. Um, I know Andrew Law's just been injured on the weekend, but he's he started the season very well. So I, I, I don't think it's quite as direct as that, but. Certainly, that sort of stuff would be, would come into their mind, and I think that they would have been conscious of the fact that we we were not as it stand, as it stood, they were not in a position to recruit properly or to well, you know to bring in players from other clubs, uh, and uh, they needed to clear up the cap to to move into a position where they could. So Ned Guy, in some respects, has been a bit of a fall guy, no pun intended, as um, because he said he had to take the. Uh, He's made the hard calls, um, some of which in a situation, some of which was in his own doing, but certainly not all. Uh, there were some, not to turn this on a Collingwood podcast, but there were some pre-existing issues yeah. at Collingwood before. Uh, there's more than enough Collingwood media going around, but there were some issues that Collingwood, uh, you know, well before he got there. Um, it's interesting to see whether he'll still, I don't think he will go back into player management, but I remember at the time, actually, you might recall, uh, because he, he was Jake Lee, was manager. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was quite a high, quite a well, you know, uh, a well liked manager, and um, his players, you know, had good, really good relationships with his players. From my, to my understanding, and there was speculation that I think when Jake was out, because he, he signed just as just before Jake joined Melbourne, and then late, I think it was twenty seventeen, and uh, Jake, um, when everyone sort of knew Jake was going to leave Adelaide, or it was loomed likely. Tex Walker wasn't very happy about it. Uh, that um, there was speculation that Collingwood were going to going to take him, uh, and well, Ned was going to get Jake from his you know from from his management stable to, to his new job. But obviously, that didn't happen, and probably for Jake, uh, good thing it didn't, and for Melbourne because Jake's been terrific. Then, last question from us. Um, so, you wrote a great article in the preseason about Mac Andrew, um, a. Sudanese refugee who is in the Demons Academy and is starring, and at least at the time he wrote the article, there was some talk that he could be a top 20 pick. Um, can you tell us a little bit about his pathway and also the likelihood that we'll be able to pick him up this year? Uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting one uh, because he's uh, he's sort of become the poster boy a little bit for the Next Generation Academy changes well, this year, or at least maybe not the poster boy, but he's, he's a really good test case. Um, so, um, for, for the, for the uninitiated, cause it is a bit technical, uh, last year, obviously the Bulldogs, for instance, took Jamari Ugalega at pick one matching Adelaide's beard. The rule now is that for next generation Academy players, this is not for father, son or for, uh, Northern Academy. So, you know, guys like Errol and Nick Dacos, 
different category, but for, for players like Mac Andrew, uh, who was of South Sudanese descent, and uh, I believe it was an Egyptian refugee camp, but he was he grew, he was the, in uh, was in for a few years before he came to Australia. His family came to Australia. Uh, for guys like that, if they fall into um, if a club, so he's a Melbourne Dexion player, but Melbourne cannot match a bid this year for him inside the top 20. So if any club with a pick inside the first 20 picks him, they've got him. Uh, Melbourne can only, it must be, it's only outside the top 20 that um, Melbourne can match a bid and then it goes to that whole points and bidding system. And from next year, from 2022, that actually, it's because um, it, it's been phased out, I suppose, it goes to the top 40. So this is sort of a, a the, the um, transition year um, and, and, and you said any, any top 40 picks can't be matched and that's really to stop absolute pure top end talent being sort of I don't know siphoned off and and, and and the idea is you know give clubs an incentive to de- develop talent but not to develop not to sort of cherry pick the absolute best probably fair enough um, so Max interesting in the sense that as it stands and it's, you know, it's early when I wrote that story it was April it's still only May and there's no uh, things can change very quickly when the draft's in November. But um, as it sort of stands at the moment, Max probably around that 20, you know, around that 20 mark. That's sort of where clubs seem, seem as. And the, the the perception is at least talking to other clubs, recruiters, managers a bit, is that uh, if, he's, if he's sort of rated around 22, say, that's just an example, a club might you know, say, look, we're going to have to go at 18 to get him. Um, obviously, it depends what it all line up. But a club might be a bit more inclined to say, "Look, we can get him now. Um, we're not going to be if we bid, you know, Melbourne, or even to stop. I'm not, look, you obviously need to want him, but um, you might be a bit more inclined to to take him when you can get him, especially if he's right around the mark to jump one or two picks early than he might otherwise be, uh, just to make sure that you can get him, uh, because otherwise, Melbourne, you know, I. I uh, it's hard to know whether Melbourne would definitely match a bid, especially given they do have uh, sort of flush for tools. But, um, and, you know, sort of, I suppose, similar ish to Jackson. I don't think he's quite as good as Jackson at this stage. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, but the, the raps are pretty pretty good. You know, he started the season really well. The Stingrays, as I said, it's early, early doors. I think he was, he was close to playing a game for Casey. Uh, the Demons, um, the AFL, one or two weeks ago, I think he was almost picked and then he thought he was going to play and I think they told him the next day, oh, sorry, someone else is playing instead of you. So, But uh, you imagine he'll get his chance at some stage. Uh, but it's it's a really interesting test case. But, uh, it's, you know, these guys are great stories. And he was, uh, I mean, spoke, spoke, spoken to him, he's a lovely young man and, um, you know, um, in, a, in a multicultural Australia, uh these are these are stories that that everyone should be celebrating, and 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 it was what was interesting actually was talking to him about who had inspired him, and it was even just talking to him about how guys like Alir Alir, um, uh, Chankyoth Giath, who's at Hawthorne, had inspired him, and other guys of Sudanese and, Af- and African descent. So, um, you know, hopefully he's just another one of um, another trailblazer, uh, and, and who knows what the AFL looks like in. Um, in 20 years' time, but uh, with with African migration to Australia, um, it, it, it's great to see that uh, there's plenty of plenty of these guys coming through the AFL because um, they, they bring so much, and it's just good for it's just good 
you know, so, not to become a socio-political podcast, but it's just good for, <laughs> it's good for society. It's good for society, I think. So, yeah. You're in safe company. No. <laughs> so, Dan, sorry, very final question. Sure. Who are you tipping this week between the Ds and the Dogs and why? Uh, I haven't entered the tips yet, but I think I will be tipping the Bulldogs. Uh, I just think, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of recent confirmation or not, uh, recency bias, but uh, um, when you see one team having just won by 111 points, one, um, albeit against a pretty poor St Kilda team, and one team having just lost to a middling Adelaide side, I mean, it's hard to tip against the Bulldogs as it stands, especially at Marvel Stadium where they, their footy has been so irresistible it really suits their quick ball movement. Um, I suspect they get Tim English back this week, or they've lost Trelaw, but they're, they're, you know, I start talk about Melbourne's depth. I think the Bulldogs are even deeper. So I think the Bulldogs deserve favouritism at, at Marvel, but I certainly wouldn't be shocked if Melbourne won. I think Melbourne are, uh, um, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, I think the Bulldogs, um, I think Melbourne, you know, they've lost one game and it's by a point. And I think that's actually a good sign that even if on a down day, they lose by a point, you know, they, they, and they probably should have won, you know, that contentious free kick at the end. So uh, I think Melbourne are, Melbourne are the kind of team that I, I can see being blown out of the water, even by a team like the Bulldogs. I think they're too defensively resolute. I think they're playing too, they're playing too selfless footy. They're, they're, I think they're, they're, they're structured and organised well at the moment. So I, I think Melbourne will be competitive. I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I think, uh, I think the Bulldogs deserve favouritism and, and that's why I'll tip them. Awesome. Dan, thank you so much for joining the Dear Leader podcast. Uh, pleasure, guys. No, thanks so much for having me.